history of the world. Only a few generations have been granted the role of defending freedom in its hour of maximum danger. Chopping it up with the conduit, and this is my special guest, Mr. J. Period. Um, extraordinary, legendary DJ. Um, there's so many things I could say about this guy, but uh, for the past couple of months during quarantine, this gentleman has really been making our Monday nights uh, a, a very fun, um, at the same time, educational. So um, I just wanted to welcome you to the show, and uh, thanks for tapping in with me, bro. Yeah, man. Like I said, glad to be here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, um, you know, I just want let's just go ahead and start off with the general, you know, the general usual question that most DJs or artists start off with. How did you start off, you know, with hip hop, with DJing? When was, you know, you first knew? Was it for you? Man. Um... You know, to be perfectly honest, like, I think a big part of my story is the fact that I was just a fan. Right. And I didn't necessarily have any designs on, you know, doing this for a living. But, um, you know, I came out to New York um, really to sort of be closer to hip hop. I grew up in L.A. Yeah. Um, you know, when I got here, I just dove in and started DJing. And, you know, little by little, it took hold. And, you know, here we are. You still got love for the saxophone? <laughs> ah, I see he's been doing his research. Yes. Um, yeah, it's been years since I played. That was, that was definitely the first instrument I played was was the saxophone and, you know, my little Fisher-Price turntable uh, that I, I would cut my little records up on. But, um, you know, my, my, uh, my family was a musical family also. My dad was a musician and an educator. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of where I got both of those streams from. And um, I think I was originally on track to be a teacher. Um, but wow. I, I love this thing, and and uh, you know, like I said, here we are. Well, it's 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 funny that you say that because you incorporate teaching within your mixtapes and with your live sets. Um, and we're gonna dig into that later. But now that you basically gave me the backstory on that, now I know where it ties in, and that that's definitely amazing. Yeah, for sure. Um, like I said, I was a I was a fan of hip hop from a very early age, it just kind of took hold of me. And, um, you know, I, I've lived a life in every form as a, a B-boy, you know, graph writer. Yes. Um, I never I never rhymed per se, but I, I used to write. I mean, I still write. And, um, you know, I think it was it was just all of that. And then um, when I was in college, I, I basically, in high school, I just had the illest CD collection. And I was, <laughs> always, you know, like, just amassing dope music and then when yes. i got to college and they were asking um for a dj for a party i offered to you know to rock uh for that party and somebody heard me and then asked me to do another party and um as it happens you know it's been going it started going like that from there wow so that's where your love for djing started say again is that where your love for djing started uh, yeah, I, I wasn't really DJing until I was in college. Like I was, I was playing basketball when I was in, you know, in junior high and high school, and, and a little, you know, skateboard kid and a, and a beat boy. Yeah, I, I skated too. I, well, I still skate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that that was, you know, I, I grew up in California, so you know, I was outside. I wasn't in my basement. Right. You know, making beats. Right. But um, like I said, I just love the music, and um, you know, when I came out to New York. <clears throat> Um, I hadn't even bought my first set of turntables. Um, uh -huh. You know, when I was in college, I was using my roommate's turntables 
and um and I was doing parties with little uh, CD discmen and a mix. Mm -hmm. Um, but I knew my music really well. Right. Uh, so you know I could still make the party come off like that. <laughs> wow, that's that's awesome. Are there? Are, with that being said, are there any certain DJs that you know might have influenced your style, or but some that you might look up to now? I mean, definitely. I mean, Pete Rock, you know, Primo, um, Prince Paul. Uh, I mean, one of the craziest things about my life is that, you know, these were my heroes as a kid. And, and now they're people that I get to work with yeah. and collaborate with. Um, and that, that's really incredible. Um, but I, I think the, you know, the, the storytelling aspect of it was definitely there was Prince Paul influence. Um, you know, my, my cuts, I, I think, in terms of like just not overdoing it, but, you know, real clean is, is modeled after Primo and, and, you know, Pete Rock, I think in just, you know, so many ways, um, I, I love Pete Rock as a kid. So okay. those are some of my early, and, and obviously, you know, Q-Tip, um, the yeah. Paul Quest was my favorite group. So, um, you know, I probably point to those guys as some of my biggest influences early on. Okay. So, I mean, let's fast forward now that you moved to, you know, New York and you were getting into, I, I guess, more into the scene. I noticed I started seeing your name on MTV's Mixtape Mondays. And I was like, okay, who's this J period? And then I just started seeing the line of work that you were doing and what you were putting out. Fast forward, we meet December 7th, 2017 at the Howard Theater for the uh, Sankofa, um, what was it, uh, Benefit. Yep. It was Aloe Black, yourself, um and maxwell and who else um i don't want to forget anyone but it's the organization for social justice and equality mm -hmm. so i see is that part of where your teaching aspect comes in because i see that i see that organization where it puts forth where they're more so trying to raise the awareness of everyone but mostly children i mean to be honest like you know now obviously we're in a moment where you know, everybody is becoming aware of these issues. Um, yeah. I'm in some ways, you know, I'm fortunate to have grown up, you know, exposed to and, and made aware of a lot of these things early on. So this became something very important to me from an early age um, mm -hmm. in, in all ways. Right. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think that it's really for me about creating art that's, you know, reflects the times. And, you know, I think that, you know, the hip hop I grew up on had something to say. And, and so in turn, you know, the hip hop I create has something to say. Um, but it also, you know, obviously you can't overdo that. You know, I think it's about finding a balance between that and dope music. And that's wow. really what I've tried to make my, my career about is a balance between, you know, something with some substance and, um, and just dope music that, that moves you and makes you feel good. Yeah, and, and I just want to mention to the people, like, if, if you don't know or if you haven't forgot or if you've forgotten, you know, his official mixtape collabs have been with Q-Tip, John Legend, Nas, Big Daddy Kane, Lauren Hill, The Roots, you know, Mary J. Blige. So my brother's catalog is definitely official, and he's actually displayed some of his skills and his works on his Monday Night Live. So... If y'all in tune Monday nights, if you're not doing nothing, most of the time it usually comes on between 8 p.m., but I've noticed that he's pushed it to 10 p.m. as of late. Y'all be in for a real, real treat. It's not just a DJ on there just mixing back and forth. He's literally telling you a story for two hours straight. <laughs>
Yeah, man. And honestly, you know, that, that whole style I've, I've adapted for the live mixtapes. Um, but it really, it started, you know, when I was, I was sitting in a, a interview um, with Nas. Okay. And, and I heard Nas, this was in 2002. Mm -hmm. And Nas was kind of breaking down his whole story. And I had my little, you know, recorder on the table right. um, along with the other DJs. And I just started thinking how ill it would be to take this interview and chop it up and mix it with the music and, and tell his story and words and music. Right. So, I, I, you know, I sort of rolled up on him afterwards and, and pitched the idea. And he gave me, a, you know, a drop and a cosign. And that was the first of these um, back then in 03. And you know what happened was that it just kind of caught on. So yeah. you know, first they start getting bootlegged, and and then you know I'm out on the streets in, in Canal Street, Fulton Street, and in, in you know Brooklyn and in the city, uptown 125th Street, selling these mixtapes. Yes. And and um, then I start getting hired by the labels to do them. Where you know I, I'm I'm rolling in, and they're saying you know holding up my Lauren Hill mixtape, like yo, can you do this for X artist or Y artist? Yeah. So it was really organic. It was just me kind of you know, following this passion and then people took notice of it. And, you know, before too long, I was doing these officially with the artists, um, you know, even on to today where, you know, I, I work with the roots all the time. I DJ for black thought. Yes, yes, yes. I was going to mention, I, I wanted to surprise the people with that. One. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, listen, you know, I, I think anybody that knows what I, what I do, you know, knows about my relationship with the roots and, yes. and I've been really, blessed um to get the support of those guys yes. for years now um in, in what i do and um last night they put on an amazing show for the yes, they did. um you know we had a, a version of the live mixtape that was about to be ridiculous on deck with the whole griselda and i know and black art so we'll have to save that one for later yeah but um you know uh Tariq, uh did his thing last night with quest and you know really killed that freestyle and um you know it will be it will be continued um and tomorrow actually we have the live mixtape at a special time at, yes. at 3 p.m eastern mm -hmm. um for all my folks in the in the uk and europe uh yes. going in yeah yeah that that one's gonna be dope plus i know this is the, the the tupac edition so i know we're definitely gonna be getting some exclusive cuts and some exclusive audio in real time my people so you know be sure if y'all on the east coast 3 p.m you know, yeah, I'm in Europe, 9 p.m. on your time. If you're on the uh, West Coast, 12 p.m., definitely. Yeah, no doubt. It's yeah, gonna be so, so um, I wanted to jump to your work with the NBA. You're the music director for the inaugural season for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, yeah, for the first uh, two seasons, I was the, the music supervisor for the Brooklyn Nets. Yes, yes. How did now... I want to know how that came about and how did that tie in to you remixing the theme to NBA Inside Stuff? Man, um, you know, the truth is that I, I did a party um, for Tribeca Film Festival and one of the people at the party was the chairman of the Brooklyn Nets. Mm -hmm. And he heard me and uh, he just was blown away. He's like, man, like I, I, I'm doing this party. Um, I don't know if you're, you know, you do uh, events overseas, but I'd like to fly you to France. Wow. Okay, this event. And I was like, yeah, well, you're sure. Like, let's go. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so, um, you know, my one of my good friends um, knew him and, and, and you know, kind of, you know, co-signed him and, and whatnot. And I flew out and I did that party. And, and um, you know, I think that sort of secured in his mind what I was capable of. And then that year, you know, Brooklyn, uh, you know, uh, the new, sorry, New Jersey Nets were moving to Brooklyn. Yes. 
And they really were trying to do something new and different. So I think they started out with, you know, one version of it, which was a DJ, um, you know, like they do in other stadiums, playing in the breaks and, and, um, and you know, a timeout or two and whatnot. And, um, you know, it wasn't really working the way they wanted. And mm -hmm. so I was called in just to kind of make a few suggestions. And, and my suggestion was, you know, you should really blow up the whole way this is done and make it like a soundtrack. Right. And, you know, uh, like I said, you know, I'm a basketball head. So, you know, for me, that I know every possible scenario in a basketball game. And um, and they're coming into Brooklyn. So I already know what the feeling and the energy in, in the room is supposed to be. Yes. So I, I pitched them on this whole thing where I remix, you know, everything you would find in the NBA game. Jump ball, you know, flip that. Offense, defense, you know, flip everything. Um, you know, high intensity moments, you know, versus like, whatever, you know, something for the start of the third quarter to get people back into the game. Yeah, All yeah. the things that are natural if you're a, a hoops head. Right. Um, and they loved it. And so I, 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 they kind of brought me on on a trial basis. And after two games, there was an article in the New York Times about what I was doing. And that was, you know, the rest was history. <laughs> um, so, you know, nobody had ever approached a, a basketball game in that way. Right. Um, and so... Um, yeah, I think it just took hold. And, and then as a result of that, other teams started taking notice. Yes. Um, the NBA started taking notice. So I got asked to go out and, and do all-star events um, and other things. I actually went a few times to do events with The Roots and then ended up doing other NBA-related events. And, you know, before too long, I met a couple folks in NBA uh, TV who pitched me this idea of doing, I think it was a, the Dr. J movie. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I asked uh, James Poyser from The Roots, amazing um, songwriter, to, yeah. to write this piece with me. And then, again, you know, that producer, when that came out, that producer was like, you know, I, I want to introduce you over here. And that's how I met the NBA Inside Stuff folks. And, again, um, I did that with James Poyser. Yeah. Um, you know, such, excuse me, such an incredible talent. And, um, you know, for, for the Dr. J movie, we got an Emmy. Um, we got a, a sports Emmy for that um, joint and for inside stuff. Um, you know, I, I think they kept that. I don't even know if they still have that theme song. They kept it for, for a couple they do. of years. They do. They still have they it. So, you know, there you, there you go. So shout out to James Poyser yeah. um, for, uh, for his work on that. But, um, you know, I, I got to say more than any job I've ever had, you know, rocking for the NBA, sitting in those games, you yeah. know, sound checking in Barclays and hearing my, my remixes, you know, Thunder yes. playing, best job I, I, I ever had, no doubt. Wow, <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. Have you ever thought about going back? Yeah, you know, they, they changed around the way things were, were working at, at the Nets. Yeah. Um, so I, don't, I don't necessarily know the folks over there anymore. It's all changed I, over. Yeah, it all, it all changed over after the first two seasons. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, they injected a lot of money into, you know, the team coming to Brooklyn. And so, you know, it was really a priority to make it an entertainment experience in those first couple years. And then they, they you know, they shifted it around. And now my man um, uh, who's over there, uh, I, I actually can't remember his name, but um, I met him before. He's holding it down, DJing over there. He does a few different NBA-related events. So, go, go. Man, that's awesome, man. From <laughs> from from mixing CDs at college to rocking the Barclays, man, for, for our NBA squad. That's it's that's been quite a journey. Yeah, super journey. But not to mention, you know, you got the roots and 
in black thought and things of that nature. You, that, that's also a good thing to have as well. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I'm somebody who's really stuck to my guns my whole time doing this, you know, for better or worse. Um, and I think the advantage of that is that I've, I've always done stuff that, that matters to me. And so I, I pour my heart into it and I think it shows in terms of the work. So, yeah. There's one, one question I wanted to ask you because your style of DJing, you know, is considered uh, autobiographical. So I wanted to know, was Dirty Harry or DJ Vlad before he became Vlad TV, any, was any of an influence to you? Because I know they did like, um, I, did they, I think they did a few versions of a couple mixtapes kind of in that manner of how you do it now but it was so far back. I think it was like way ahead of his time. Like a lot of people really didn't catch on. I mean, I would say like as a kid coming up, you know, in terms of mixtapes, it was definitely like, you know, Tony Touch, Mr. C. Yes. Um, there was a cat named Silver Surfer back in the day. I saw, you know, the evil genius Green Lantern just popped up in here. I got to give him props. Peace the Green Lantern. In terms of, of the mixtapes. Yes. Um, but I think part of what, you know, made my stuff different is that nobody had ever really uh, sort of woven in interviews in, no. in quite the same way. No. So you know, there were people who were flipping remixes and, and, and um, sound bites and other elements in there, but not really taking it as far as I was interested in taking it. Um, and I think, you know, again, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of influences in terms of, you know, as a mixtape DJ, but my approach was always to be different from every other mixtape DJ. So I was never listening to or comparing myself to other mixtape oh, DJs. Right. You know, apart from as as a kid or like a select few that are out of my lane, I don't really listen to anybody else's mixtapes because I don't necessarily want to have anyone else's ideas in my head. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely because you are set apart from a lot of DJs. I, if anything, I think you're you're one of one. I mean, I think that my goal was, you know, I'm in competition, but you know, with myself. Yeah. Like, my goal was always to do something different. Um, I feel like. You know, even from the days of looking at the wall of mixtapes and seeing how everything looked the same and sounded the same, um, that just didn't feel like the way to go. You know, it felt like carving my own path was the way to go. And then I got to make my own rules and, and do it in a way that, you know, I was passionate about. That's awesome. I wanted to talk about the Hamilton mixtape. Now, were you approached about that or was that something that just came off the top for you to do on, on your own? <laughs> No, I'm to be honest, I was approached about the Hamilton mixtape before Hamilton was Hamilton. Um, so shout out to Riggs Morales. Yeah, big my time. Tall guy. Uh, uh, he, he was Canon's manager. Mm -hmm. And um, he basically linked me up with Riggs and said, there's this thing. Um, it's hard to explain. It's like, you know, civics and politics and hip hop. And I was like, okay, you know, that sounds interesting. And, um, and Riggs told me about it. Um, and the original title for Hamilton was the Hamilton mixtape. Oh, um, wow. But the actual play, that's what it was originally called. So when I was called in there, the, the play had opened on Broadway maybe two weeks earlier. Mm -hmm. And I got to see one of the first showings of it. And I just, you know, like everybody else after me, my mind was blown. Yeah. And, um, you know, at that time, it was, can you take the cast album, the recording, and remix it? And so my demo... Um, I saw Timothy Ann pop up in here. She heard me. Um, my demo was um, the Ten Dual Commandments over Biggie Ten Crack Commandments. Wow! And I and I sent that over to them, and they were like, "This is amazing. You know, we we need to to do this." 
And, you know, we started working on it, but, but in the time that transpired, Hamilton became Hamilton and it blew up to this crazy level Yes, where, you know, it was well beyond, um, it was you know, recognized on Billboard. What'd you say? It was recognized on Billboard. I mean, Hamilton became a phenomenon, obviously, you know. It's, yes, it's, but I mean, your music, the mixtape, actual. Oh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about before we even got to that. Right. Um, Hamilton itself blew up and the cast album was, you know, a multi-platinum, um, you know, a Grammy award winning album on its own. But basically what happened was that a year later, um, when it circled back to me, Quest Love and The Roots had been brought in right. to work on the Hamilton mixtape. And um, again, you know, God bless, you know, Amir Thompson, he, he brought me in and was like, look, this has got your name written all over it. You should do this. And I was like, and he, he didn't know that I had been brought in originally. So it was just a perfect fit. And it was literally going to Electric Lady Studios. And I go to meet him there to have this discussion. And he goes on FaceTime, hands me the phone, and there's Lin-Manuel on FaceTime. And that's how it began. So, you know, those people that know the story of the Hamilton mixtape, you know, I, I basically sat in the corner um, talking on FaceTime to Lin-Manuel Miranda. Mm. And he was like, you know, how much do you know about Hamilton? And I was like, I, you know, I've been listening to the soundtrack for six months. Yeah. And he said, all right, well, I'm going to send you the folders of all the songs we've made. Um, and I want to see what order you would put it in. And so he sends me the list of how the label did it. And of course, the labels was like, you know, most famous artists first and second most famous artists second and so forth. Yeah. His, his version was very much in line with the story of, you know, the play. And um, I started taking it apart like I would do for my mixtapes. And I realized that I couldn't explain this to them. Um, I needed to show them. Right. And so I, I basically put headphones on in the corner uh, at Electric Lady. And for the next, I think it was from like 4 p.m. to 4 a.m., I sat there and I made a mock-up. Um, of the Hamilton mixtape, and probably 95% of what I made is what oh, the final piece was. Um, so I just kind of like, you know, went in. You zoned and, out. Yeah, by the following morning, I sent this to them. And, and by that afternoon, an email had been sent around Atlantic Records, like, new plan, this is the plan. And so that's how, that's how it happened. Um, and it is a, a crazy story yeah that it definitely is it's crazy how the universe works just how everything just lined up for you yeah i mean on that one you know again it, it's like who could have predicted that you know that scenario would even come to pass but yeah. you know i recognized the genius of hamilton and and i really was excited about it you know like genuinely so by the time it came to me having this conversation with lynn i was ready you know, that night to sit yeah. down and make it. Um, so it was fortuitous, but it was also, you know, kind of like being prepared in that in that moment. Okay. From jumping from the Hamilton mixtape, I want to talk about the Rise Up Project. Yeah, here you go. Um, that one right there actually uh, touches me personally because I got to see it live too. Mm. Um, for everyone who hasn't, you know, it, you know, when we do happen to get back to some sort of normalcy, if Jay period is in your town <laughs> and he is bringing the Rise Up Project, please, please try to attend. Please witness it. Um, I got to witness it live with Mumu, the beautiful Mumu Fresh, of course, our brother's dead prez and Feral March. <laughs> and, and, and uh, don't let me forget 
Don't let me forget Lawrence either. True. I, I can't forget Lawrence. Uh, people don't know Lawrence of uh, 1500 Academy fame. Yep. Uh, worked on uh, Nipsey Hussle's uh, victory lap as well. So, you know, if y'all want to look up the name, go do the knowledge. Uh, these guys are some genius. But at the same time, this is all done live in real time. How did the idea come up with the Rise Up Project? Um, I mean, I, I think it's a lot of factors. Um, you know, the idea really um, came up after Alton Sterling and Philando Castile were, were killed. Um, I just had that feeling of wanting to do something and not knowing what to do. Um, and I, I think, you know, you see what's spilled out into the streets yes. you know, in recent months, weeks, um, based on people feeling like they have to do something. Um, and what I did was to pick up the phone and call Ralph McDaniels of Video Music Box fame. And Uncle um, Ralph. Yeah, Uncle Ralph. And I, yes. I know Ralph was around for the original Stop the Violence movement, self-destruction and all of that. And I really just sort of, you know, wanted to get schooled. And I asked him to tell me the story of how that project came to be. And um, he broke it down for me, you know, like the good and the bad, what worked, what didn't work, et cetera. And um, I hung up with Ralph and I called Young Guru, who um, has become one of my, my, really my best friends in this game. And I said, you know, I really feel compelled to do something here. And he's like, man, like I've been thinking about this all morning and I've gotten so many phone calls. I want to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So he and I put our, our resources together um, to, to sort of start brainstorming about this. And then every year, Jazzy Jeff does something called the Playlist Retreat, where he yeah. gathers, you know, creatives together. Mm -hmm. And um, I then brought it to him as well. And um, he said, you know, you should bring that down to the playlist retreat and we can have a conversation about artists using their platform for something, um, you know, more than, you know, self-promotion. Yes. So um, that was the seed of it. And, you know, I think that what it comes down to is I realized that to do that project right, it had to be a multitude of voices um not just my own and, and more than that it had to be um a show of force of all the artists that um would come together and so the goal was to bring these put folks in the studio together to make music and then to go out into the community and perform it um and you know the the other layer behind that show at, at the kennedy center that you saw yes is that um i had done the music for this show called america divided um, which was uh, Norman Lear and, and Shonda Rhimes and Jesse Williams and, and um, you know, a bunch of incredible folks. And in that, I met the people from the Kellogg Foundation, um, which for people that don't know is a foundation all about sort of social justice and equity for kids. And so I told them about this idea and they uh, explained to me that, you know, if I applied for a grant that they might be able to fund the idea. Wow. And so, you know, we pitched it to some record labels and nobody bought. And so I said, you know what, let's, let's do it. Like, let's apply for a grant and let's see if we can fund this ourselves. And that's what we did. And so, you know, I think by the end of it, you know, as an artist, I'm always measuring it by the music and by how many people it, it reaches. Yeah. You know, I, I wish I had an infinite budget to, to get it, you know, across the globe. But what we did was really incredible. Um, you know, we did performances at the Kennedy Center at the Smithsonian African-American History Museum. Yeah. Yes. Um, on the lawn, you know, uh, uh, the National Mall, um, you know, at a, a giant poetry festival called Louder Than a Bomb in Chicago with 4,000 kids um, at Brooklyn Academy of Music, you know, busing kids in to watch this performance and then have a discussion about mm -hmm. it. Um, and, you know, so the kids could be inspired and, and see themselves reflected in these artists 
on stage. And, um, you know, that project is not over. Um, oh, not, I, oh, not by any means. Yeah. I, you know, we had a, a lot of big plans around that last year that, uh, you know, a couple of things didn't come together around the funding, but um, I'm now in talks again to do a new version of this. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's only more and more important and relevant to what's happening in the world. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah you're definitely right on time with that. Um, I want to go ahead and I want to tie that into definitely to the Kennedy Center because, you know, I noticed since the Kennedy Center opened the reach and they've been wanting to uh, delve more into the hip hop community because they've seen the power of what, you know, of what hip hop can do. You, would you care to, you know, tell the people your role with uh, the Kennedy Center? Um, yeah, I mean, again, it's like when I start telling these stories, it's impossible for me to not step back and realize that the folks that bring me into these things, you know, were my heroes as a kid. Yeah. Um, and Q-Tip, you know, more than most. Yeah. Um, but um, two years ago, the Kennedy Center decided that they were going to sort of create a hip hop culture council. Mm -hmm. They tapped Q-Tip to be the artistic director. And um, I had worked on a, a mixtape project with Q-Tip in 2008 and nine, and really just developed a great relationship with him. I was asked to DJ for him doing solo shows, mm -hmm. you know, a, a really amazing one that we did at the Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival with Tip and Busta Rhymes and Kanye and Black Thought and just, you know, mind blowing. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, I was his tour DJ when he did the Beats One radio show. Um, he brought me in to kind of be there the first six months um, to help produce the show. And so when he created this Hip Hop Culture Council, um, you know, I got an, uh, an email, you know, inviting me to be a part of this thing. And I thought it was going to be like, you know, 500 people. Right. And it was, you know, 15 hip hop legends and luminaries and, and all these incredible folks and, and me. Um, so, you know, I took that to mean that I have a, a, a job there and that is to bring, you know, ideas to the Kennedy Center and to do what I do and tell stories in that way. Um, so I just since that moment have not stopped pitching ideas. Um, and we did the Rise Up project there. I've done yes. the Art Summit there. I did a performance for The Reach. Yes. Uh, and you will catch me going back. I mean, I think same with the work that Timothy Ann is doing at the Smithsonian. Of course. Um, you know, around kind of giving this culture a place in these institutions for the you know the first time ever. Um, if I can play a role in that, um, and you know, usher in you know voices into that forum. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do that. So you know, bring in Mumu Fresh in for you know the rise up project and now you know she's an institution over there as you know as well and it's just, just so many things about the kennedy center um putting their their you know their money and their you know where their mouth is so to speak and yeah and doing this um, you're definitely so, right yeah. about that yeah because um, that's one thing you know i want i want to let the people know so far as with the kennedy center um you are a big help on that you and god where you uh, literally threw the alley-oop for me to Timon. You know, that, that night, uh, it was a night that we had uh, Little Brother at the uh, Howard Theater. Mm -hmm. And it was the same night that Farrell was in town. And it was, uh, I guess, I think Styles P also, um, who else was on? Oh, Fame. yeah, for the Internal Affairs. Yeah, for the Internal Affairs 20-year anniversary joint. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I remember you reaching out to me maybe probably two days, two, three days before and was like, yo, are you still promoting? 
I'm like, yeah. And he's like, all right, I'm about to link you with God. All right. <laughs> so then God hits me. Then God was like, oh, yeah, bro. He, you know, because he remembers that him and I worked together back in 2015. It was him and Satori that actually, you know, gave me my first booking with Black Moon and Feral Munch. Where that was like my actual first show. So when it rang back to God, I was like, oh, that's it. I already know what we're doing. The next thing you know, Pharaoh DMs me. Here's the video. This is what I need put up. All right, cool. <laughs> once, once you gave me that alley-oop and we did the promotion for that, and that evening Simone hit me and told me that it ended up selling out, that further cemented her to me, you know, for her to me to become a part of the Trinity Center family. Word. Thanks to you and God. Hey, man, my pleasure. <laughs> like, seriously, um, Timothy can attest to that as well because she's, a lot of people don't know, like, I call her Diddy of the City. <laughs> okay? She, you know, she, she, you know, you and I definitely met beforehand, before, you know, you know, she knew that you and I, you know, met each other at the Howard Theater, but you and I, you know, speaking about our relationship with her, it all brought us closer, so... Anytime you're coming in town, it's always it's like a, it's like an instant bat signal. You know what I mean? And it's, yeah. just, it's just a great network of people to to be surrounded with because you know y'all actually care. You know what I'm saying? You know we run into a lot of people into this in this business where you know some will just look you the other way and keep it moving. But you know you're one of the ones every time you come in town. Yo, Salim, I'm here for a few days. Let's get together. <laughs> Let's see what we're doing. See if Timothy's around. Let's get the game together. Like, it's been a beautiful relationship, you know, on that end. But at the same time, I'm looking forward to working with you, you know, more in the future along with the Kennedy Center. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, we got an album coming, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, yeah, before the, the quarantine, I was about two mixes away from being totally done with my album. And I've been working on it now. I mean, Lord, uh, about three and a half years, um, and it's it's special. So um, you know, we'll, we'll have to come down and do a show at the Kennedy Center around that, uh, if if and when there are shows again. Well, there there will be. They're they're pushing for twenty twenty one. Just recently, the Birchmere out in Virginia uh, said they were opening back up, but um, it, it, I think it's going to be kind of a stretch because starting out is going to be $50 just to come into a show. And then you're not even counting the $25 mandatory for your food and drink. Then they're uh, asking for a $5 COVID fee as well. Fee. That's a new one. So you know what I mean? And then you have to think about the Birchmere, uh, the capacity 600. So they're probably going to have to slash three fourths of that just to get the, you know, with social distancing. So, um, I think right now the, the outdoor medium might be best for us um, for now, if that comes into play. But so far as inside venues, it is looking like it's 2021. I but, see um, someone in there asking about the album release. Um, I mean, to be honest, the album was supposed to be out in the spring. Mm -hmm. um, those plans were derailed. Um, so we're looking at um, probably the fall. Um, I mean, that is my goal is to get it out in the fall. I, I have a really a ridiculous lineup for this thing. Um, I mean, I, I can't, I can't reveal some of these, um, but um, I have, man, I mean, I, I know it's fire. Hello Black, Andrew Day, um, Black Thought, um, 
I have one of the world's only rap features from Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, yep. Uh, Joel Ortiz. Okay. Uh, um, Masego um, is a song that is actually a one-on-one basketball game between me and Masego. Oh, wow. which, which comes out of a real one-on-one basketball <laughs> game <laughs> between me and Masego. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I have um, a joint. There's a story. I, I don't have time to tell the whole thing now, but um, when I was a kid, I wrote a letter to Y Club. Mm. And um, I, I posted this on my Twitter feed last year, but basically this led to me actually having a, a relationship um, with Clef years later. And, and Clef is on the album sort wow. of telling the story of the arc of the Fugees on a record. And, and um, John Forte is also on that, telling his version of that story. Um, and then a, a young cat uh, by the name of Marlon Kraft mm-hmm. actually um, has a similar story with Black Thought. So he, he, we have a song with him telling his story so, you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm really, you know, weaving this like a storybook. And, um, you know, the, the incredible artist, Dan Lish, who's been doing all of the oh, illustrations. Five. Five mixtape. Yeah. Yes. So, um, Dan and I are talking about some form of comic book or uh, storybook that will accompany the album. Um, I think it's really time to push the envelope, you know, creatively. Yeah. And, and so that's what I'm trying to do. And, I'm, you know, I think bottom line, the music has to be banging. And so, you know... Um, the folks in here uh, can can be can be sure that after battle testing all these records, um, I got some heat, um, and I'm just I'm excited to drop it soon. Well, yeah, I, I, well, I know personally everything that you put out so far, along with you know your your Monday Night Live, everything has been fire. You know, everything has been enjoyable. Um, you want to tell the people you know where to purchase you know some of these legendary mixtapes, you know the merch, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, we uh, actually uh, at the top of the year set up a band camp. It was J period, uh, J-P-E-R-I-O-D dot bandcamp dot com. Um, all of the live mixtapes that I've been performing. Um, this has really been something new for those people that know how intricate the mixtapes are. Um, trying to record it in one take is an insane undertaking that I've now done about 12 times in a row for the last 12 weeks. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I basically turn them around. We record them. And turn them around in uh, and and put it up on Bandcamp and on SoundCloud, um, and then we're also featuring them on the Roots YouTube. Yeah. Um, so if you go to YouTube.com/slash/TheRoots, um, all my live mixtapes are up there. And um, yeah, you can dive in. We had a, a flash drive with the entire collection of mixtapes on there, but that that joint sold out. So we're probably yes, going to so bring quick. that back. Yes, you um, have to. In another uh, few weeks. Okay. And yeah, and some of the gear. Um, we actually just got here. I'll, I'll give you a sneak preview. Oh, snap. Because these actually just came in. Is that the Tribe one? Yeah, man. So Whoa. this is the Tribe shirt. Yo, Dan is crazy with the art, man. This is the Nas shirt. Yes. That's the Outcast shirt. The Outcast joint. And then, the you know, the back hit. Yes. The, the joints. So, um... Yeah, these, uh, I mean, they're honestly, they're already almost sold out. But um, if you go to the band camp, you know, you might be able to catch a stray copy um, before, they're, before they're gone. Awesome. Uh, yeah, but, you know, we're going to be bringing a lot of that stuff back. I'm really honestly enjoying reaching folks in a new way. Um, the idea of broadcasting from home, even doing something like this, you know, like having a conversation uh, in this way was, you know, really new for me and I'm, I'm glad I, I dove in. I got to thank my man, M.A., 
um, uh, who's been, you know, my, my video videographer, he's amazing video director. He's yes. you know, all things visual. Um, but he really encouraged me to dive in and do this. And um, I'm glad I, I'm glad I listened because it's been a real challenge and I, I like a challenge and um, an opportunity to reintroduce this stuff in a new way, you know, um, to a whole new audience. So that's what it's all about is, is, you know, growing the number of people that I can reach with this music. And um, oh, I see somebody in here had the OG J. Perry box set. He, yeah, he knows. Oh, that's, oh, man, that's the whole bigger. Oh, yeah. That, that yeah. was the whole. I have one of those. Hold on. I'll show you. <laughs> hey, Bigger, you got him out the seat. So, all right. So th there's no more of these. But we did a mahogany wood box. I actually got Bose to sponsor it. So it came with a, a, a pair of um, of noise canceling headphones mm. in the box yes and then we did we did another version this is like artifact time now yeah that's a man so we did well, another version. brought an element on for me the ver the version that my man is talking about is this yes so it came with uh, a speaker honestly really amazing little technological joint but it's a speaker that you just lay the phone on. You see, it's like laser engraved. Right. You just lay the phone on top of it, and it would amplify it. Um, so, yeah, I, I always stay trying to do some crazy packaging. You know, when I met Rance from 1500, he saw this, and he was like, you're out of here forever. So, like, <laughs> so that's what it is. Oh, he said it, the, the guy that has it, his still works. Too. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's the homie man, man, figure 32. Yeah, that's the homie. Box set. Yeah. But, um, yo, Jay, I, I wanted to thank you, man, for, for joining me on Chopping It Up with the Conduit. Um, I ain't going to front. I was a little hesitant in asking, but then I was like, why not? And, of course, he was like, why not, bro? Yeah, man. So, you know, I really appreciate you. Um, Again, thank you for your Monday nights. They have been... uh definitely giving me peace of mind because of course music always soothes but at the same time you're giving the people some education you know along the you know the couple of hours that you're giving us some some really good music but um you know again thank you jay for your friendship your brotherhood and thanks for joining me and uh thank you to the people man all right man salute thanks again peace peace all right y'all that was another edition of chopping it up with the con do it my special guest, Mr. J. Period. Uh, thank you very much for joining me on this lazy Sunday. Next Sunday, join me at 6 with my brother, the manager of Mr. Rock Marciano, Jazz UN Gang. Uh, we're going to be building on some, some industry inside tips, and some artist management tips. We're just going to build on some stuff. So, you know, thanks for joining me, guys, and thanks for your support. Until then, y'all be safe and be well. Peace. Multiplied by my demons, the pain so egregious But strategic I came to rise and ride the flame like a phoenix My words will reach a million or more when I tweet it That's as many people as MLK and Jesus And half the time, people rhymes of a genius Who refuses to align with the elite Seems Dr. King's dreams were not for the screaming Children of a lesser God, oppression just repeated Unless we slide up out of the chains and believe